0: Chapter 4 of The Fortunate Youth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Danny Hogger. The Fortunate Youth by William John Locke. Chapter 4 It was a day of dust and blaze. Dust lay thick on the ground. It filled the air. It silvered the lower branches of the wayside trees. It turned the old brown horse into a dappled gray. It powdered the black hair of Barney Bill and of Paul until they looked like vagabond millers. They sat side by side on the footboard while the old horse jogged on, whisking flies away with the scanty but persistent tail. Paul, barefoot and bare-legged, hatless, coatless, absorbed blaze and dust with the animal content of a young lizard. A month's summer wandering had baked him to gypsy brown a month's sufficient food and happiness had filled gaunt hollows in his face and covered all too visible ribs with flesh since his flight from bloodstone his life had been one sensuous trance his hungry young soul had been gorged with beauty the beauty of fields and trees and rolling country of still quivering moons and starlit nights of exultant freedom of never-failing human sympathy he had a confused memory of everything they had passed through many towns as similar to bloodston as one factory chimney to another and had plied their trade in many a mean street so much the counterpart of bud street that he had watched a certain window or door with involuntary trepidation until he realized that it was not bud street that he was a happy alien to its squalor that he was a butterfly a thing of woods and hedgerows fluttering for an inconsequent moment in the gloom he came among them none knew whence he was going none knew whither he was conscious of being a creature of mystery he pitied the fettered youth of those begrimed and joyless towns slaves men with muckrakes he had fished up an old pilgrim's progress from the lower depths of the van who obstinately refused to raise their eyes to the glorious sun in heaven in his childish arrogance he would ask barney bill why don't they go away and leave it like me and the wizened little man would reply with the flicker of an eyelid unperceived by paul because they haven't no eye born parents waiting for em. they are born to their low estate and they knows it which to paul was a solution of peculiar comfort even the blackened lands between the towns had their charm for paul in that he had a gleeful sense of being excluded from the wrath of God, which fell continuously upon them and the inhabitants thereof. And here and there a belt of leafy country gave promise, or confirmed Barney Bill's promise, of the paradise that would come. Besides, what belt of leafy country gave promise, or confirmed Barney Bill's promise, of the paradise that would come? Besides, what mattered the perpetuations of bloodstone brickfields when the land of beulah shimmered ahead in the blue distance when martin chuzzlewit lay upon his knees when the smell of the bit of steak sizzling on the cooking stove sung his young blood and now they were in warwickshire county of verdant undulations and deep woods and embowered villages every promise that barney bill had made to him of beauty was in process of fulfilment there were no more blighted towns no more factories no more chimneys belching forth smoke this was the earth the real broad bosomed mother earth what he had left was the hell upon earth what he was going to might be paradise but paul's imagination rightly boggled at the conception of a paradise more perfect and as paul's prescient wit had conjectured he was learning many things the names of trees and wild flowers the cries of birds the habits of wayside beasts what was good for a horse to eat and what was bad which was the wagon and orion's belt and the bunch of keys in the heavens how to fry bacon and sew up rents in his clothing how to deal with his fellow man or rather with his fellow woman in a persuasive manner how to snare a rabbit or a pheasant and convert it into food and how at the same time to evade the terrors of the law the differences between wheat and oats and barley the main lines of cleavage between political parties hitherto a puzzle to paul for barney bill was a politician on the conservative side and read his newspaper and argued craftily in taverns and the styles and titles of great landowners by whose estates they passed and how to avoid the nets that were perpetually spread by predatory sex before the feet of the incautious male. On the last point Barney Bill was eloquent, but Paul, with delicious memories sanctifying his young soul, turned a deaf ear to his misogyny. Barney Bill was very old and crooked and dried up. What beautiful lady would waste her blandishments on him? Even the low-born lasses with whom they at times consorted had scarce an eye for Barney Bill. The grapes were sour. Paul smiled indulgently on the little foible of his friend. They jogged along the high road in this blazing and dusty day. Their bower of wicked chairs crackled in the heat. It was too hot for sustained conversation. Once Barney Bill said, If Bob, Bob was the old horse's unimaginative name, if Bob doesn't have a drink soon his darned old hide'll crack. Ten minutes later, nothing under a cord'll wash down this dust. Have a drink of water, suggested Paul, who had already adopted this care for drought with satisfactory results. A grown man's thirst and a boy's thirst is two entirely different things, said Barney Bill sententiously. To spoil this grown-up thirst of mine with water would be a crime. A mile or so farther on the road, he stretched out a lean brown arm and pointed, See that there clump of trees? Behind that is the little bear inn. They gives you cool china pots with blue round the edge. You can only have them if you asks for them. Jim Blake, the landlord, being particular like." and if yer breaks em, what would happen asked paul who was always very much impressed by barney bill's detailed knowledge of the roads and in the inns of england barney bill shook his head it would break his heart them pots was being used when william the conqueror was a boy ten sixty-six to ten eighty-seven said paul the scholar they mun be nine hundred years old not quite said barney bill with an air of scrupulous desire for veracity but nearly lor lum he exclaimed after a pause it makes one think, doesn't it one of them there quart mugs suppose it has been filled say ten times a day every day for nine hundred years my gosh what a pacific ocean of beer must have been poured from it it makes one come from all of religious like when one puts it into one's head paul did not reply the reverential emotion kept barney bill silent until they reached the clump of trees in the little bear inn it was set back from the road in a kind of dusty courtyard massed off one side by a gigantic elm and on the other by the fringe of an orchard with ruddy apples hanging patiently beneath the foliage close by the orchard stood the post bearing the signboard on which the little bear an engaging beast was pictured and presiding in a ceremonious way over the horse trough below in the shade of the elm stretched a trestle table and two wood benches the old inn, gabled, half-timbered, its upper story overhanging the doorway, bent and crippled through serene with age, mellow and yellow and russet, spectacled, as befitted its years, with leaded diamond panes, crown-deep in secular thatch, smiled with the calm and homely peace of everlasting things. Its old dignity even covered the perky gilt inscription over the doorway, telling how James Blank was licensed to sell a variety of alcoholic beverages. One human figure alone was visible as the chairs and mat-laden vans slowly turned from the road toward the horse trough, that of a young man in straw, hat, and gray flannels making a watercolor sketch of the inn. Barney Bill slid off the footboard and, looking neither to right nor left, bolted like a belated crab into the cool recesses of the bar in search of ambrosia from the blue and white china mug. Paul, also afoot, led Bob to the trough. Bob drank from the lusty moderation of beasts. When he had assuaged his thirst, Paul backed him into the road, and, slipping over his head, a comfortable nosebag left him to his meal. The young man, sitting on an upturned wooden case at the extreme edge of the elm tree shade, a slender easel before him, a litter of paraphernalia on the ground by his side, painted assiduously. Paul idly crept behind him and watched in amazement the smears of wet color, after a second or two of apparent irrelevance, take their place in the essential structure of the drawing. He stood absorbed. He knew that there were such things as pictures. He knew, too, that they were made by hands, but he had never seen one in the making. After a while the artist threw back his head, looked at the inn, and looked at his sketch. There was a hot bit of thatch at the corner near the orchard and, below the eaves, bold shadow. The shadow had not come right. He put in a touch of burnt umber and again considered the effect. "'Confound it! That's all wrong!' he muttered. "'It's blue!' said Paul. The artist started twisted his head and for the first time became conscious of the ragamuffin's presence oh you see it blue do you he smiled ironically ay said paul with pointing finger look at it it's not brown anyhow yon's black inside and blue outside the young man shaded his brow and gazed intently brilliant sunshine plays the deuce with tones my hat cried he you're right it was this confounded yellow of the side of the house he put in a few hasty strokes that better ay said paul the artist laid down his brush and swung round on his box clasping knees how the devil did you manage to see when i didn't dunno said paul the young man stretched himself and lit a cigarette what are you doing that for mister paul asked seriously that ay said paul you mun have a reason you're a queer infant, laughed the artist. And do you really want to know? I've asked you, said Paul. Well, if you're anxious to know, I'm an architect on a holiday and I'm sketching any old thing I come across. I don't pretend to be a painter, my youthful virtuoso, and that's why I go wrong sometimes on color. Do you know what an architect is? No, said Paul eagerly. What is that? He had been baffled by the meaning of the word, which he had seen all his life inscribed on a brass plate in the Bloodstony High Street, E. Thompson, architect and surveyor. It had seemed to him odd, cryptically fascinating. The young man laughed and explained. Paul listened seriously. Another mystery was solved. He had often wondered how the bricklayers knew where to lay the bricks. He grasped the idea that they were but instruments carrying out the conception of the architect's brain. I'd like to be an architect, he said. Would you? after a pause the young man continued anyhow you can earn a shilling just sit down there and let me make a sketch of you what for asked paul because you're a picturesque person now i suppose you'll be asking me what's the meaning of picturesque nay said paul i know you've seen in books Thou gray tower stood out picturesque against the crimson sky hello you're a literary gent said the young man i replied paul proudly he was greatly attracted towards this new acquaintance whom, by his speech and dress and ease of manner, he judged to belong to the same caste as his long-lost but ever-remembered goddess. The young man picked up pencil and sketchbook and posed Paul at the end of the seat by the trestle table. Now, then, he said, setting to work, "Had a little more that way, capital. Don't move. If you're very quiet, I'll give you a shilling." Presently, he asked, what are you? If you hadn't been a literary gent, I'd have thought you might be a gypsy. Paul flushed and started, I'm not a gypsy steady steady exclaimed the artist i've said you couldn't be one italian you don't look english for the first time the idea of exotic parentage entered paul's head he dallied for a moment or two with the thought i don't know what i am he said romantically oh what's your father the young man mentioned with his head towards the end Jan's not my father said bill that's only barney bill only barney bill echoed the other amused <laughs> well who is your father dunno said paul and your mother know uh, either said paul in a mysterious tone i don't know if my parents are living or dead i think they're living that's interesting what are you doing with what's-his-name bill i'm just traveling with him to london and what are you going to do in london i'll see when i get there said paul so you're out for an adventure ay said the boy a gleam of the vision dancing before his eyes that's it i'm going on an adventure there keep like that cried the artist don't stir i do believe i'm getting you holy moses it will be great if only i could catch the expression there's nothing like adventure is there the glorious uncertainty of it to wake up in the morning and know that the unexpected is bound to happen during the day exciting isn't it aye said paul his face aglow the young man worked tense and quick at the luminous eyes he broke a long silence by asking what's your name paul Kegworthy. paul that's odd in the sphere of life to which the ragged urchin belonged, toms and bills and jims were as thick as blackberries but paul's were rare what's odd said paul your name how did you get it it's uncommon i suppose it is said paul i've never thought of it i never knew anybody of that name before here was another sign and token of romantic origin suddenly revealed paul felt the thrill of it he resisted a temptation to ask his new friend whether it was an appellation generally reserved for princes look here joking apart said the artist putting in the waves of the thick black hair are you really going to be dumped down in london to seek your fortune don't you know anybody there no said paul how are you going to live paul dived his hand into his breeches pocket and jingled coins i've got the brass said he how much three shillings and seven pence a penny said paul with an opulent air and your shilling will make it four and seven pence a penny good god said the young man he went on drawing for some time in silence then he said my brother is a painter rather a swell a royal academician he would love to paint you so would other fellows you could easily earn your living as a model, doing as a business. You know, what you're doing now for fun, more or less. How much could I earn? It all depends. Say a pound to thirty shillings a week. Paul gasped and sat paralyzed. Artists, dusty road, gaudy van, distant cornfields and uplands were blotted from the senses. The cool waves of Pactolus lapped his feet. Come and look me up when you get to London. Continued the friendly voice. My name is Rowlett. W. W. Rowlett. for. 4- grays inn square can you remember it ay said paul shall i write it down nay w w rowlett four grays inn square i'm known likely to forget it i never forget now said paul life returning through a vein of boastfulness tell me all you remember said mr rowlett with a laugh i can say all the kings of england with their dates and the counties and chief towns of great britain and ireland and, and all the weights and measures and the assyrian came down like a wolf on the fold Holy Moses, cried Rowlet. Anything else? Aye, lots more, said Paul, anxious to stamp vividly the impression he saw that he was making. I know the plagues of Egypt. I bet you don't. Rivers of blood, frogs, lice, flies, moraine boils, hails, locusts, darkness, and death of firstborn, said Paul in a breath. Jehoshaphat, cried Rowlet. I suppose now you'd have no difficulty in reciting the 39 articles. Paul puckered his forehead and thought. Do you mean, he asked for a pause, the 39 articles of religion? As in... "'The prayer book? I had tried to read em, but could not understand em read.' Rowlett, who had not expected his facetious query to be so answered, stopped his drawing for a moment. "'What in the name of goodness attracted you to the thirty-nine articles?' "'I wanted to learn about things,' said Paul. The young man looked at him and smiled. "'Self-education is a jolly good thing,' said he. "'Learn all you can, and you'll be a famous fellow one of these days, "'but you must cultivate a sense of humor.' Paul was about to seek enlightenment as to this counsel when Barney Bill appeared. Cool and refreshed from the indoor and lifted a cheery voice let's be getting along sonny rowlett held up a detaining hand just a couple of minutes if you can spare them i'm nearly finished all right sir said barney bill limping across the yard taking a picture of him the artist nodded barney bill looked over his shoulders by gosh she cried in admiration by gosh it has come out rather well hasn't it said the artist complacently it's the living image of him said barney bill he tells me he's going up to london to seek his fortune said rowlett putting in his finishing touches and his i-born parents said barney bill winking at paul paul flushed and wriggled uncomfortably instinct deprecated crude revelation in the mystery of his birth to the man of refinement he felt that barney bill was betraying his confidence gutter-bred though he was he accused his vagrant protector of a lack of good taste of such a breach he himself son of princes could not have been guilty luckily and as paul thought with admirable tact mr rollitt did not demand an explanation a young Jaffet in the search of a father well i hope he'll find him there's nothing like romance without it life is flat and dead it's what atmosphere is to a picture and onions to a stew said barney bill quite right said rowlett palma boy i think after all you'd better stick to mr barney bill sir at your service and if you want a comfortable chair or an elegant mat or a hearth brush or at a ridiculously cheap price he waved toward the van rowlett turned his head and laughing looked into the twinkling black eyes i don't for a moment expect you to buy sir but i was only a satisfying my artistic conscience rowlett shut his sketchbook with a snap and rose let us have a drink said he artists should be better acquainted he whispered a message to paul who sped to the inn and presently returned with a couple of the famous blue and white mugs frothing deliciously at the brims the men their lips to the bubbles nodded to each other the still beat of the august noon enveloped their bodies but a streak of heavenly coolness trickled through their souls paul looking at them enviously longed to be grown up then followed a pleasant half hour of desultory talk although the men did not make him save for here and there a casual reference the subject of their conversation paul with the vision shivering before his eyes was sensitive enough to perceive in a dim and elusive way that he was at the back of each man's thoughts and that for his sake each was trying to obtain the measure of the other at last barney bill cocking at the sun the skilled eye of the dweller in the wilderness called the time for departure could i see the picture asked paul rowlett passed him the sketchbook the sudden sight of oneself as one appears in another's eyes is always a shock even in the most sophisticated sitter to paul it was uncanny he had often seen his own reflection and was familiar with his own appearance but this was the first time that he had looked at himself impersonally the sketch was vivid the likeness excellent the motive the picturesque and romantic a proud lift of the chin, an eager glance in the eye, a sensitive curve of the lip, attracted his boyish egotism. The portrait was an ideal, something to live up to. Involuntary, he composed his features. Barney Bill again called time. Paul surrendered the sketchbook reluctantly. Rowlett, with a cheery word, handed him the shilling fee. Paul, then whom none better knew the magic quality of money, hesitated for a second. The boy in the sketch would have refused. Paul drew himself up. Nay, I'll take no one. "'I like doing it.' "'Rowlett laughed and pocketed the coin. "'All right,' said he, with a playful bow. "'I'm exceedingly indebted to your courtesy.' "'Barney Bill gave Paul an approving glance. "'Good for you, boy. Never take money you've not earned. "'Good day to you, sir,' he touched his cap, "'and, with a motion toward the empty mugs, "'thank you kindly.' "'Rowlett strolled with them to the van, "'Barney Bill limping a pace or two ahead. "'Remember what I told you, my young friend,' "'said he in a low voice. "'I don't go back upon my word. "'I'll help you.' But if you're a wise boy and know what's good for you, you'll stick to Mr. Barney Bell and the freedom of the high road and the light heart of the vagabond. You'll have a devilish sight, more happiness in the end. But Paul, who already looked upon his gy- gypsy self as dead as his bloodstone self, and these dead selves as stepping stones to higher things, turned a deaf ear to his new friend's paradoxical philosophy. I remember, said he, Mr. W. W. Rowlett, 4, Gray Square Inn the young architect watched the van with its swinging creaking excrescences lumber away down the hot and dusty road and turned with a puzzled expression to his easel joy and the little bear inn had for the moment departed presently he found himself scribbling a letter in pencil to his brother the royal academician so you see my dear fellow he wrote toward the end of the epistle i am in a quandary that the little beggar is of startling beauty is undeniable that he has got his bill agape, like a young bird, for whatever food of beauty and emotion and knowledge comes his way is obvious to any fool. But whether, in what I propose, I'm giving a helping hand to a kind of wild genius, or whether I'm starting a vain boy along the primrose path in the direction of everlasting bonfire, I'm damned if I know. But Paul jogged along by the side of Barney Bill in no such state of dubiety. God was in his heaven, arranging everything for his especial benefit. All was well with the world, where dazzling destinies like his were bound to be fulfilled. I've heard of such things, said Barney Bill, with a reflective twist of his head, when Paul told him of Mr. Rowlett's suggestion. A cousin of mine married a man who knew a gal, who used to stand in her birthday suit in front of a lot of young painter chaps, and I'm bound to say he used to declare... She was as good a gal as his own wife, especially seen as how she supported an old father that had got a stroke and a houseful of young brothers and sisters. So I'm not saying there's any harm in it. And I wouldn't stand in your way, Sonny, Seen as how you want to get to your eye born parents. You might find him on the road. And then again, you mightn't. And 30 Bob a week at 14, no, it would be flying in the face of Providence to say, don't do it. But what licks me is, what the blazes do they want with a little varmint like you? Why shouldn't they pay thirty bob a week to paint me? Paul did not reply, being instinctively averse from wounding susceptibilities. But in his heart rose a high pity for the common, though kindly clay, that was Barney Bill. End of chapter 4 Recording by Danny Hogger Fullerton, California Danny Hogger Podcast www.dannyhogger.com